three, two, one. Welcome to the Mix Zone by Infront Lab. On this podcast, we chat with sports and innovation leaders from around the globe, talking about everything from the newest technologies to major trends affecting our industry. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, we're Infront Lab, the innovation branch of Infront Sports and Media. We use technology to improve experiences and create new opportunities in sports and help sports and entertainment organizations by bringing them closer to cutting-edge technologies and startups. We cover all sports-related industries, from data to content and everything in between. I'm Marav Sabir, Marketing Manager at The Lab and host of this podcast. The sports world is advancing at high speed when it comes to technology, both from the startup side, where new companies are constantly emerging, to the organizations who are always looking for the next big thing. We're all in a race to innovate, and for quite some time now, the German DFL Bundesliga has been leading this race. From their mobile app to new viewing experiences, innovation events, and educating those around them, the DFL may not be the biggest, shiniest sports organization in the world, but it is a leader when it comes to technology and innovation. They were one of the first to act as a media company and introduced the glass-to-glass model, meaning encompassing every part of digital experiences, from the glass of the camera lens filming the game or event to the TV or mobile device glass where fans watch content. To help bring the strategy to life, the DFL created three subsidiaries, Sportcast, DFL Digital Sports, and Sporttech Solutions. On this episode of The Mix Zone, we were joined by the CEO of DFL Digital Sports, Andreas Hayden, who is also in charge of digital innovation for the DFL. Enjoy the episode. Andreas, welcome to the Mix Zone. Thanks for the invitation. Looking forward to the discussion. Well, it's great having you on here. And, you know, before we get into everything that the DFL is doing when it comes to technology innovation, uh, I'd really appreciate it if you can tell us a bit about yourself, as is tradition on the Mix Zone. So share a, bit about, a little bit about who Andreas is, how you got to where you are today. Interesting question. Um, so I think my, my, my upbringing... Um, brought me very early in contact with computers and electronics. Um, so like 1981, I think, um, uh, when, I wa- when I got to school, um, very early, the C64, the Commodore, the old computer, the bread basket, or however it was called, um, arrived in our household. And um, my father always supported me trying to work with digital stuff. Um, at that time, it was computer stuff. And getting to know it, um, he enabled me to have early 90s, uh, a first modem um, and ISDN back in the day. And so I grew into it. I never had the had the urge to go really into coding, but I always tried to understand it. Privately, family, ra- um, race bike nut, coffee nut, um, and uh, love to travel the world. Well, definitely with you on that coffee nut. But it's interesting that you're talking more about that you come from the technology side. For someone who works in sports, a lot of people talk about their love for sports and how they've always wanted to work in sports. So it's interesting that you made it your way to the Bundesliga. Yes, um, I think if you would ask myself 15 years ago, will you ever be working for the Bundesliga? I may would have put a big question mark um, onto it. So I, I, I'm, I'm a marketing guy who has ideas about technology, but not in detail. I'm a content guy who has ideas of con- of marketing, but not in detail. So I would say I'm a digital general a generalist. Um, so I, I'm doing internet stuff since 1996. 
Um, and um, I've always worked on the receiving end of rights. You know, I worked at MSN uh, for MSNDE um, 2000 when portals were big. I had my own video startup um, in, in mid 90, uh, mid 2000s, um, where I, we acquired rights uh, from WAE um, and other sports and entertainment brand. Um, I worked, uh, managed Maxtome, which was one of the leading uh, video demand platforms in Germany before network, Netflix arrival, um, where I also bought rights. Um, and after being, yeah, something like 15 years in the rights utilization, I wanted to understand how the rights prov provision works, how do leaks work, and where else to go than the Bundesliga, which is one of the most fascinating leaks in the world. So you're bringing me already to this next question. You know, the Bundesliga acts just as much as a media company as it does as a football and a sports league. How was this con concept born and how was this idea created with having these subsidiary subsidiaries and how the Bundesliga arrived to where it is today in terms of being such a powerhouse in media? You can approach that question from two questions. On the one hand side, our league is different than the other big ones. Um, we don't have big outside investors. It's not possible to take a majority stake in a club in Germany and just buy it because the clubs are owned by the fans. Our league is owned by the clubs. There is no investor in, etc. This limits us in certain capabilities um, to spend in us and our clubs to spend the highest salaries or the biggest marketing, etc. So we have to find clever ways to differentiate. What um, our CEO back in the day, Christian Seifert, has understood very early is on the one hand side, having control of the production value chain from glass to glass, as you described it perfectly, gives you a certain sense of security because if you have a certain amount of cash as a reserve, you can act quite freely dependent, independently of which licensee you have. You know, license come and go. Um, a licensee buys a ride for four years, maybe for eight years, maybe for three years, but there's always an end of a licensing term in a in a relationship between a league and a um, uh, and a um, and uh, and a licensee. So it could theoretically be that with being in two, two over two hundred countries and sixty licensees, in a certain point of time, we may get a licensee in the territory for a certain time period who would not buy the full product. But we are still able to provide the full product to everybody else. So this sense of control and this sense of safetyness enables us to have a long-term strategy within, herein for the long game. On the innovation so, side, so yeah, sorry. Yeah, on the no, innovation continue. side, it gives us freedom. Because if we want to test a new camera, there is not some supplier who has the right or the, the obligation to produce everything, who then charges us extra. We go to our daughter company, sister company, Sportcast, and we just ask them to do so, and they will have provi happily provide this service. And this speeds up the pace of innovation that is possible. So uh, we'll get to the cameras in a second. So I do want to talk to you about that as well. But you, I mentioned it earlier, you mentioned it in your previous response, this glass to glass model. I'd love it if you could explain a bit more about that. Uh, you can do it way better than I did in the, in the introduction. <laughs> yeah, so it ends with a customer and starts with a customer at the same time. So to understand what is it that a licensee wants or a broadcaster in Japan wants, you have to have back, work backwards from the customer inside. So we invest a lot of time and money to understand the customer's needs, to understand the fans' needs. From that, 
we work backwards through the production chain to the stadium where we gather the ingredients. And let me take the example of cooking. You know, we to there are always three factors in a good in a good meal. You know, you have the ingredients, you have the preparation of the food, and the presentation of the food. And if we take this this example, we create our own ingredients in the stadium. So Sportcast, um, founded, I think now 13 years ago, has produced over 10,000, I think nearly, nearly 11,000 football games in their history. Wow. They even work for the FIFA. I think the FIFA half semifinals were produced by them. And so they are very, very experienced. I would say they are the most experienced football production company on a professional level in Germany. I would say in Germany, not just in Germany, in, in, uh, in Europe. We have understood that the data part will be in future also, I wouldn't say as important, but very important. So together with Delta Tray, um, we created a joint venture um, to create the sport tech solution to create the data in the stadium. 3.4 million data points are generated on each match, which together with the audio track enables us to have video, audio, data, as an ingredient into the video, uh, into the content production. On the second slice, we have the DFI Digital Sport um, uh, company I run. Here we produce um, thousand hours live production um, in English, um, the whole international product portfolio, which is another thousand hours on demand, thousands of digital clip and content, our webs and apps and services for our clubs. And in the third, slice, I would say the distribution and the presentation part uh, to stay with the, with the food picture. Um, we have the Bundesliga International, who is our ear to the market um, and our distribution arm. And again, we have the Sportcast, who use the latest technology to provide that to the world. So at the end, hopefully, we meet the fans' demands and the customers' demands with providing services along the um, production value chain. So you're doing all these things to sort of, you know, serve up the perfect meal if we continue uh, with your uh, imagery of food creation, but you're doing it and you constantly seem to be one step ahead of everyone else, whether it's through these subsidiaries. How do you stay one step ahead of everyone else constantly? Um, something I learned 2000 at Microsoft. Um, there were always my manager at Microsoft. Uh, he always said there are only two sentences um, relevant for you. A, eat your own dog food and be know your enemy yeah? so I'm, i try to deep dive into technology i like i have i think 72 smart home appliances in my house um 72 72 yeah, yeah. so i don't um, think i have that many in, in this building that i work in okay that's uh that's incredible <laughs> we'll have to go through that list at some point because there, there have to be things in there that are automated that i don't know you can do in smart with smart yeah. objects so there's a special <laughs> keyword if you leave the house everything shuts down in a specific order and a random dog is barking and stuff like that it's uh it's uh it's fun no so have fun with data um have fun with experience technology by yourself um, be the first to have a 5G phone, not the last. Be the first to have an Oculus. Be the first to buy an NFT. Be the first um, to, back in the day, create a web page. Yeah? So always try to stay ahead. So the inputs are that podcast, newsletter, um, Twitter, LinkedIn. The input levels vary over time. So there was a time when LinkedIn was the leading device. Um, there was a time when uh, Twitter was the leading input. Um, so... 
uh, you have to stay humble. So do you have to ex accept that you don't know what you don't know? Um, you have to be flexible in the inputs and you have to be train yourself to digest insights from bullshit very fast. And so, especially, so mm -hmm. sorry, and and especially. especially, you know, the Gartner hype cycle, um, especially when you're in the steep rise of an, of, 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 of a, um, of a technology, uh, when, um, AI was, uh, like five years ago, hip, um, there was a company that renamed themselves pizza.ai and they to increase their evaluation. So this kind of stuff you have to filter out. So let's talk about strategy for selecting relevant technologies because you're talking about being the first. You want to be the first, but you also want to do it correctly. You don't want to choose the incorrect technology like you're talking about AI just because they wanted to increase their valuation. So what is your strategy for selecting relevant technologies and identifying the correct companies? So there are three things where a technology or let's say a technical innovation can help us. Either it creates a new marketplace for our rights. OTT was one of those. NFT is one of those. We're going to talk about that I bet, in depth later. Oh, we will. <laughs> um, so this whole area, metaverse, whatever, Web3, whatever it's going to be, maybe something of that. Secondly, a technology can deepen our, our production value. So for example, work together with WSC, um, a company from Israel, um, uh, which creates AI-powered highlight clips, which enables our teams to create better quality and higher outputs with less cost in total. And thirdly, it could extend our value chain. So we created a law tech company, uh, Rights, it's called, for automated digital rights management notice takedown and claiming, for claiming notice and takedown, uh, which then enriched our, uh, enlarged our production value chain. And here our mantra is, create as fast as possible a POC. Because we want to be first, but not always first in the market outside, but we want to know, want to be get our hands first on technology, try it out, and then decide whether A, we even talk about we are doing something, B, we partner with the best in the market um, to do so, um, and then C, do, are we going to make a case out of it and do we go public with it, talk about it, and um, redo it. So obviously you've gone through this process multiple times in selecting different technologies and companies to work with. You've tried many things. Some have succeeded. Some I have no doubt have failed and we just don't know about. What do you think has worked best over the years and perhaps what has surprised you the most? That's an excellent question. So the stuff that doesn't work, we normally don't talk about, um, but there are numerous cases where we failed, but we created operational knowledge. We truly believe that I don't know, remote production is going to be an elemental part of the future production of life and um, life uh, um, life events, um, and maybe also and also on demand production. But the way how we approached it, it took us a couple of times to understand what is efficient, what works in quality best, where is where is it just too expensive to do it in a certain way, and. Um, I think for remote commentary, so we have some of our commentators, one array, he sits in Massachusetts. So in somewhere in the Chicago area, in his house, Saturday morning, a uh, Sunday morning, and he commentates a game from his house. And it took us three approaches to find the right solution to do this remote commentary. In a pre-COVID time, 
we wouldn't have done three parallel, <laughs> but during COVID, it was really innovation on speed. So you really had to execute because first, nobody was able to, to, to travel. Then people were not available because they were ill. Um, so you have to find quick turnaround times, um, really be um, with your partners on your foot and change maybe complete setups within days. That's the stuff um, where we talk about the end result that is possible, but not the process how how we got there. Secondly, uh, would be, we have understood that we can't do it by ourselves. So for example, when in March, 2019, somehow the idea came up, the future is going to be augmented. So we will have devices telling you more about the idea is old. Remember Terminator back in the day, but they, that it would could, could become really feasible with 5G. So then uh, at that time, Vodafone reached to us, uh, out to us and asked, hey, can we do something together? I've seen at the Trade Affair an amazing startup, Immersive from France, um, which somehow we got together in August. The frequencies were released by the German government. In October, we did our first public test and we did proof of concepts before. In October 2019, we, did, we showcased our 5G application. That would not be possible if we wouldn't have lined up a great partnership with Vodafone, with AWS, a club that owns the stadium, and a production value chain, which has full access to the stadium. And it just comes to show how important these partnerships are. Like you said, you can't really do anything on your own. And we mentioned specifics. We'll get into NFTs in a little bit. But first, I want to talk about the, the DFL having developed the first dedicated vertical production in football, filming in 9 by 16 or as what many people know as stories style uh, <laughs> rather than um, the horizontal that we're used to. Excuse me? Before stories existed. Exactly. So what does this type of production entail? Because you can't just flip a camera over and assume it's going to film the same way. Yeah. In summer 2019, we looked at our data and we saw a very interesting data point. We've seen that over 50% of all video views were generated digitally, vertically. May it be in a browser with an embedded player where you just let the player play. May it be in social media back in the day, in the newsfeed, everywhere outside uh, YouTube, people don't tend to turn their phone. So we ask ourselves, okay, what would be our reaction to that? And somehow that's a customer insights that people don't want to switch their phones, uh, tilt their phones. Stories back in the day weren't that big. In 2019, they were there around, but it wasn't like a massive, um, um, uh, a massive uh, demand at that time. It was growing, but it was uh, in the beginning. And here also, we went a little bit through failure to come up with an idea how to do it right. So we contacted companies like Oracle. We contacted par other partners, uh, not Oracle, sorry, Adobe, um, other partners um, who offered automated clipping to take out of a horizontal video, cut out the relevant part. It works very well um, for Hollywood movies and um, for cartoon series, because the center of attention is very, very clear most of the time. But in football, you're missing what's going on surrounding a specific player. And football is too fast. As you have, um, I don't know, I, have, I would have to guess 400 cuts or something in 90 minutes, or even more, must be more. Um, I Actually, I don't know, I would say 400. Interesting number, actually, I should check afterwards. Um, uh, cuts, so it's a very fast paced action and 
you have on the other hand side also you need to understand what's happening. So we came to the conclusion that in 2019 and later in 2020 and still today, there isn't a perfect real-time solution for cropping. We will get there eventually because I believe in technology, but we had to understand what was the customer demand and how can we react uh, react to it. So we, took, we, we in 2019, we did the first proof of concept. We tilted the cameras in the editing room. We tilted the, uh, the, the, uh, the displays. Yeah, there's a very nice video on dfl.de. Um, in English also, um, that you can see uh, more, that you can get more information on it. We had additional cameramen in the stadium. And yeah, we filmed it, we produced it, showed it customers. They loved it. Um, and in the last Super Cup uh, in this season, August, um, we did a live vertical streaming to TikTok. Uh, we reached over a million people by just distributing it to Germany and Brazil and nowhere else in the world. And only on TikTok. Only on TikTok. Which shows both the power of vertical production and the power that TikTok holds nowadays. Yeah, definitely. Do definitely. you have any information if we're talking about TikTok? Are these, were these younger audiences? Was it a mix of different audiences? You could roughly say on all platforms, our audience on the platform is roughly 30 to 40% less uh, younger than the average. So it was really young uh, because from the content we produce, we always target the um the young the young audience it's like in fashion if you do fashion for old people nobody will buy it uh, older people rather buy younger so we go young with the content um and then we'll, it will trickle down into the other age groups as for 5g and vertical production and ar it is too expensive in the beginning but if you don't start somewhere you don't know which gears to turn to make it cheaper and now uh, we offer vertically um a star cam so based on the data that we acquire in the stadium, we send this data, processes in the AWS cloud, send it to a robotic camera, and the camera follows Haaland vertically. You know, what has happened throughout the last years since we started, this whole hero approach um, and this over-personalization of the stars. Football players have always been stars, but now it's really it's getting to a deeper level or a higher level. I would say higher level than um, um, than back in the day. And mixing this this vertical video is great for creating heroes, and this is what the customers want. Yeah, and especially if we're talking about the younger generation uh, nowadays, many of them seem to follow favorite athletes rather than favorite teams. So I, I could see someone being, you know, a Holland fan who just wants to watch him throughout the entire game and know what he's doing and why that could be uh, so beneficial for this generation. Yeah, there is a <laughs> there's a, a German saying: uh, you have to milk the cow uh, uh, as long as she gives milk, um, and that's what we're doing. So we try to create as much content and as deep interaction with a player because we know players leave. That's that's the business of the football. But in the time when they're there, when we are at our media days, when we're in the stadium, post-match, pre-match, we try to um, work as closely with them as possible, gain their trust, um, gain the trust of the club, have editorial freedom and try something out. And every year, um, I don't know if you've seen the Haaland video where he scores... Um, three shots on gold with stacked balls on top of each other in the top left corner. Um, so something like this, we produce in hidden. And then throughout the season, we, uh, we release it. And uh, this time it worked quite well. We had over 60 million video views. Uh, I bet it's now more. 
um, with that video on the various platforms. So that was fun. You know, we mentioned NFTs earlier, so I do want to get back to that because you've entered the NFT world as well. Can you share a bit about your your activations that you have? Because this is still a very new and flourishing vertical that everyone rushed to in sports. And like you said, you don't want to just rush into it. You want to do it correctly. So when we take a look at NFT, we should see it in the concept of Web3 and understand that the utilization of NFT in relation to property, identity, um, utilization for uh, actions like votings, etc., is very diverse. It is more than CryptoPunks. So when we define rights categories, we have seen first NFTs as an extension of digital collectibles in a download-to-own right. NBA Top Shots, or for us, with uh, Tops, um, our partner for digital collectibles, they have been offering digital trading cards for a long, long time. Now it's, it's, it is authenticated through the blockchain trading cards, but still it's trading cards. It's a, it's a piece of intellectual property. Can it be a picture? Can it be an audio? Can it be an autograph? Can it be um, a video snippet, etc.? It is a piece of intellectual property that is sold from A to B to be permanently in their possession, so download to own. NFT fitted perfectly, this utilization of NFT fitted perfectly in the rights that we have sold to TOPS um, and where we have a standing contract. Then somebody like Soraya came up and said, okay, let's take intellectual property, combine it with a game with a fantasy manager and make it tradable. So it opened up the new rates category where there is an, an interaction around a fantasy manager. We will see the utilization of NFTs in many, many more cases. So, for example, um, in the 2000s and 90s and 2000s, we locked in with a username and a password. From 2008 to, I don't know, now, people lock in with social logins. But now, when you go to Decentraland, you lock in with your coin wallet, mm -hmm. which is very interesting because username, email, everybody can be. Social, we know, uh, could be nearly everybody. <laughs> um, but when it comes to an authenticated access through a coin wallet, there is a payment method behind. And if you have gone through the pain of opening up a wallet, um, it's pretty sure that at least a, a human is behind it. <laughs> you don't have a username and, an, uh, and a password, but uh, you don't have a user, uh, you don't have a first name and a last name and a zip code, etc. You can get all that data afterwards. If the customer is satisfied, he will give you the he or she will give you it for free later. But first, you want to make sure that it is a real identity. So here, NFT could have a utilization. Next could be uh, we see fan controlled sports leagues opening up mm -hmm. where fans have voting rights on the setup of the play, on the squad, on decisions that the club is to be made. So in a league that is owned by clubs, where clubs have voting rights, you can start your fantasy and just imagine lastly, I think the commercial usage not really of nft but generally of the of the blockchain itself with smart contracts so when the bundesliga sells a player the money we will save trickles down through the club that is educated so even if you are a club that educated the player in the fifth division uh, where he played uh, up from a certain age you get a certain amount of money that is generated through the sell of that player and that goes down uh, for the education of future stuff. Put that into a smart contract, do it on a global level, and you would create a transfer system 
which is much more transparent and um, um, could um, make maybe sure if it's done well, that it is uh, fair and money really gets to the, um, uh, to the clubs. For us, we try to understand where, again, does it influence our value chain? Uh, where can we create rights categories that others can utilize? But always in the respect, we as a league are not giving an investment hint, uh, so uh, investment advice to our fans, but we make sure that we have trusted partners um, who take care of their um, uh, of, of of their money that they wish to invest or whatever whatever they want to invest, because for us having especially in a young market like F NFT where so so many scammers are around, we try to create. I'd rather step down from a deal with a bad partner uh, for somebody who pays less, but I'm sure that our brand is safe. I want to go back actually to discussion that we had just moments ago before we started talking about NFTs about younger audiences, because you said something that I find absolutely fascinating and I'd love to hear more about. Create for the younger audiences and it will trickle down to other audiences. When you're creating for younger audiences, like you've done with vertical production, what are some of the more critical innovative ideas that you've seen over the years that have had um, the biggest impact that others should also be adapting to? I think you, as a general advice, uh, you, uh, you should ride the wave in the front. So you should have people who understand meme culture well, um, you have people who understand the whole part of trends well, trends, cultural trends. So if somebody would now come up and say, let's do a sneaker collab, uh, I would say that's two years too late, maybe three years, <laughs> three years too late. The balance is between not being consistent in your brand message by jumping on all the latest trends and doing every mean and every challenge. We always, uh, I always remember companies who still think that the ice bucket challenge to do again is a good idea. <laughs> yeah, you could do that. Um, for example, there was a time like four years ago when web cartoons had a massive comeback. So we very early partnered with one of the leading partners like Four Fortunes. And we commissioned a creative production with them and they did it in their way. Sure, at the beginning, um, we, had to, we had to be brave um, because it's cartoon, it's, 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 it's a different message than a video and sometimes it's over-exaggerated. That's why it's a cartoon and not a real video. Huh? And <clears throat> then to take your stakeholders from brand, from PR on a road and say, okay, um, it's not a threat. It is something the kids love. We know, may not understand it. I may not like it. But at the end, I have to trust my people. So we have to hire people that are in the, in the age bracket, a little bit above, but they are in the early age bracket. So we have lots of, lots of young millennials, uh, some Gen Zs um, who, work, uh, who work for us um, in that area. We work with specific agencies who have proven their, their success by always trying to understand and, uh, and optimize. And I have a secret weapon. And which my is? secret weapon is YouTube. Because YouTube is blocked in Germany due to the right situation. So mm -hmm. YouTube is a little bit our testing ground where we produce content, test content, play it out. It's not seen by the whole market. So there are no negative reproductive repercussions if something goes wrong, which it normally doesn't. But I can create insight there, test trends. Uh, we also have a very young audience, even though YouTube is completely mainstream but we have a very, quite young audience. And we test um, content strands, and based on these content strands, when we see it's working, we commission 
uh, or produce bigger pieces and then spread out um, to other platforms. It's a secret weapon, yet it's not so secret. It's just no one knows how to use it as you have been doing so far. <laughs> Put it that you way. You have to take a disadvantage into an advantage. Exactly. It, you know, the DFL does a lot to educate other leagues in, in sports organizations about innovation, introducing them to new technologies. You know, you just did your 5G white paper. You have the sports innovation event coming up in May. Why is it that the DFL has taken this upon themselves to educate others and not just keep everything inside and say, you know, we know the tricks, we have the secret weapons, we're not sharing it with you guys? I get that asked of course a lot, and uh, people have been have us called names for it <laughs> um, to do it, but. In, in mid-2000s, um, um, during my, 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 my own startup times, um, we traveled a lot in, um, uh, on, the, on the West Coast and tried to understand the culture back in the day. And I was always amazed of the founders who later became billionaires told you your idea. They just tell your idea. I want to do a special market for homemade, individualized pet food which has a, a, where the dog chooses a color because that's what customer want. And I say, okay, great. Uh, ask him why are you telling me that? Because he said it's only 10% in the idea and 90% the execution. We both could have the idea of Facebook, um, but to execute it in the way it has been executed, I would to myself would say I would not be able to do what Mark Zuckerberg would have done. But being in a constant exchange, A, it builds up trust. Um, because I share something, you share something without um, violating any NDAs. You need to know very clear, clear the boundaries. Um, we have a very good exchange with uh, the big American leagues, with the NFL, with the NBA, with the NHL, um, on various levels because we are not competitors. Yes, at the end, we are all competitors to, um, to time versus Twitch versus Netflix versus playing outside football um, uh, because the minute can only be spent once. But having this kind of trustful relationship, um, if there is a new vendor or I have an idea and I see somebody at some league is working with them together, I can call them up and ask them the honest opinion. Uh, what do you think? Are you satisfied or not? Um, and uh, sometimes uh, parties are uh, who want to sell something um, where we did our research before. Um, are very surprised what kind of questions um, uh, we are uh, asking. One, one thing we never discuss is economics, but features uh, we discuss. So in the spirit of sharing information, what's next in terms of ventures for the DFL when we're talking about content and innovation? Is there anything you're looking into in terms of trends that you're identifying when it comes to younger audiences, when it comes to global audiences? Because as you mentioned, you also broadcast games in English with remote production from the United States. What are things that you're looking into that are helping you decide what to do next? Yeah, always we take the, the magic triangle of AI, AR, 5G. This is for us uh, something like the guiding stars um, where we see our um, technology in focus. One mega trend, and this is an insight again coming from data, the average Football fans in Germany uh, follows four clubs, four out of 36, like in the lottery. It's um, 58,000 individual taste profiles. There's no way to cater to that audience in a hyper-personalized way without AI. And if I take a look 10 years ahead, in my mind, we have a million individual streams because you have to in, take into account, maybe these are the four clubs I like, 
but I really don't like those two clubs and I only want to see news when they're losing. But I'm also interested in social moments. So if there is a hat trick in five minutes, I want to see that. And by the way, I'm living in a different time zones. So please don't show me the scores so you don't spoil me. And by the way, I'm only interested in Japanese players and not the clubs that the players are playing in. So how do you create this kind of mix? And that's millions and millions and millions of individuals. So for me, I haven't found the perfect solution for uh, hyper-personalization. We are working very closely with Amazon um, uh, Personalize, one of their web services, which goes into the right direction, but still it feels like um, Netflix in the early days uh, when they they did a they did a competition for a million dollar uh, for somebody who makes a search algorithm like five percent better or something like this. So I feel that recommendation engines have been um, cultivated through series and movies, and we are just in the beginning that other type of content can be created. And if you see the algorithms of TikTok and from Facebook and Instagram, we have been educated in only seeing stuff that we like. And we as a league and our broadcasters have to cater to this customer instance. The second big one for me is in the Magic Triangle AR. The fight for the device is on. Oculus versus Unreal versus Apple um, versus Google. Who else is going to be in that space? Um, I find the future scary having zombies walking with expressing less faces through the streets in their smart glasses and not bumping into each other because they get guided to move away from each other. But um, if it's technically possible to be done, um, it will change our user behavior forever because I hate carrying that thing around. I really, really hate it. And we're it's moving- It's much easier to just have it all up in here in your head than on a phone. <laughs> yeah. We're, so we're moving towards a post-smartphone era, um, and the Apple Watch is the first beginning. So when I go out with my kids, I leave my phone at home, but I have my watch with me, so I'm, I'm, I can still be reachable or reach if it's necessary, but I don't have that damn um, screen that, I, I, um, that I'm scaring on. How will the future look like? Um, I don't know, but 15% of the world population wear glasses, and the first things you will see are clip-ons to glasses. And you will see people wearing normal glasses to have this AR stuff happening. Um, so there are uh, impressive developments throughout the last two years um, happening. And um, that's going to be uh, fascinating. Uh, Snap is doing, I just tried out the uh, last week, the new Snapticals, um, uh, Spectacles from Snap, um, really awesome devices. Um, yeah, so in that part, um, and 5G. 5G will be able to drive innovation on the production side because you have network slices with guaranteed bandwidth will be possible also into the area of identity, will be able to cater new customer experiences because it's, it is just real time. So in the 5G case, um, I talked about you take out your phone, you point it to the pitch, the pitch is recognized and you see real time like an EA little bubble on the head of the players. You can see how fast he's running, how many touches with the ball. It takes roughly 200 milliseconds to blink, and it takes us roughly 240 milliseconds from the data we gather to the cloud at AWS, to the 5G antenna, back on your mobile phone, and display you the data. So 
Just having that in mind, and that was 2019 we developed that technology. Imagine on what we are working on right now. Well, we can only wait and see what you're working on because I have absolutely no doubt it's going to be amazing. And yeah, I want to say mind-blowing, but at this point, I feel like nothing's become mind-blowing anymore because we're getting so used to these types of <laughs> innovations and these technologies that are coming out almost on a daily basis and every time completely changing the way we view sports or view entertainment. Yep. Well, Andreas, incredibly fascinating. I can't wait to see what the DFL does next. We're all keeping an eye on you. It's not just myself. I feel as if it's the entire sports world. Uh, so all eyes are on you guys, but no pressure, right? <laughs> yeah. It's just Corona, but Corona's gone, you know. <laughs> Fingers crossed Corona's actually gone. But before I let you go, I am going to ask you a few of our rapid fire questions. So let me okay. know when you're ready. First of all, how do you define innovation? A technology change, technological change that's delivers customer value. If you could go back and do one thing differently, better, what would it be? Hmm. Not sell my Bitcoin until 2013. <laughs> what piece of advice would you give your younger self at your start of your journey? I take my own mentor, uh, eat your own dog food, know your enemy, question the status quo. Just go, just go, just go for it. Just try it out. What, because Always ask yourself, what would happen if it works, not if it goes wrong. Who was or still is your tech role model? Who? That's... I would say still Larry Page and Sergey. Um, I think they have, they have built something special with Google. Yes, Google is big and scary, um, but the path that they have taken... Um, Incredible. And last but not least, what technology has had the biggest impact on you personally? I would say the access to data to measure myself from sleep to speed. <laughs> and everything in between. Andreas, it was an absolute pleasure having you with us on The Mix. So we really appreciate you taking your time to join us today. Thank you, Bella. That wraps up another episode of The Mix Zone by Infront Lab. I'm Rob Severe. You can find me and the lab on LinkedIn. And don't hesitate to reach out and chat with our team about sports tech solutions or just last night's game. Enjoyed the episode? Let us know your thoughts on the podcast. And don't forget to rate us. We'll see you next time. <laughs>